Today on this episode of Going Deeper, we are talking about one of the most interesting stories in the Old Testament, and that is the story of David and Bathsheba, which is a fantastic story of repentance and reconciliation. We also cover what Doug refers to as the Super Bowl of the Old Testament, which is when Elijah called down fire from heaven on the top of Mount Carmel. I'm your host, Kyle McCaskill. I'm Doug DeGraffen-Reed. I'm Becky Clark. So join us as we go deeper. So we're deep into history and we're finding out this week that history can be salacious and fun and sinful and uh, points to uh, how Israel gets into the situation they get into uh, in Babylonian captivity. And um, one of the, the first readings is, um, uh, it's actually a multifaceted reading, um, and I'm going to do Second Samuel 11. The um, whole David and Bathsheba thing. That's and, one of uh, the. <laughs> um, I probably won't blush through some of this. It will just be the reflection of <laughs> Becky's blouse on my right. face. So uh, don't say anything. My dark red blouse. Don't say anything salacious, <laughs> please. But uh, the, the writer of Second Samuel points us immediately to the fact that David got in trouble because David wasn't doing what David needed to do. Right. The time when kings go to war. Yeah. You're supposed to be leading your army, David. Mm -hmm. And David says, well, I'm now the king, so let me send old Joab out. Mm -hmm. And um, Israel is ravaging the Ammonites and they're besieging places and David remained in Jerusalem. This is great prose, y'all. I mean, this story has been repeated on David of our lives and, uh, and uh, all, all kinds of really bad um, matter of fact I think there may be a really bad Hallmark script that stole it from Second Samuel 11 now that in Hallmark but late one afternoon David gets up he's walking around drinking his tea he's you know uh, and he looks across from a roof to a roof and he sees a woman bathing, and she is very beautiful. And so David did the grammar school thing. He, he <laughs> sends somebody to find out who she is, and <clears throat> it comes back, the report, and, and everything in this passage <clears throat> are people telling David, quit it. Mm-hmm. It's reported back, this is Bathsheba, the doctor, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, Bubba. Uriah the Hittite is one of like your greatest soldiers. This you you don't mess with her, David. Mm-hmm. David, if you're gonna mess with somebody, mess with somebody else. But David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him and lay with her. Now she was puring purifying herself after her period so she was doing a ritual cleansing bath and the Hebrew is going to tell us uh, she is definitely um, fertile myrtle Mm -hmm. she returned to her house the woman conceived and she sent to David and said David I'm pregnant What's going to get David in trouble is not a pregnant woman mm-hmm. because she can be added to a harem. This is the ancient Near East, and and there are hints that David may have had a little 
gaggle of girls, and we know his son Solomon definitely has oh, yeah. a harem. <laughs> have you ever asked yourself, if Solomon is so wise, why does he have all those wives and concubines? I have often wondered the same thing. Be careful. Be careful, gentlemen. Be careful, gentlemen. <laughs> okay, we're being careful. <clears throat> of what well, you, I, what you just, say about women right now. <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything about women right now. I'm saying that... I don't know. I'm going to just stop right there. So, Solomon spent his whole life saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. So y'all read that part. It's in the Bible. So David sent to Joab and said, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sends Uriah to David. And Uriah comes to David. And David said, hey, Uriah, how's it going? How's Joab doing? How's the war going? Are we, we, we beating them? And then David said to Uriah, go down and wash your feet. And you have just met one of those uncomfortable Hebrew idioms. Go down and wash your feet does not mean check for athlete's feet. It does not mean get a pedicure. It means, um, David, why don't you know? Why don't you go down and, and be with your wife? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of um, rules and regulations about men at war. And one of the rules and regulations about men at war is you just don't do this. And Uriah doesn't do it. Um, He sleeps at the entrance to the king's house. Doesn't go down to his house. And David finds out about it. Uriah didn't go down to his house. David said to Uriah, you've just come from a journey. Why would you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths. My lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house, eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Uriah is actually the hero in all this story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uriah is honorable. Uriah is faithful. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things, okay, so scripture tells us that he's a Hittite. So... mm -hmm. Is he a Hittite who is converted to an Israelite at this point? I mean, he speaks positively of of the of Yahweh in a sense of like respect, at least. There are this uh, group of people um, throughout the story of Scripture that um, they're God followers or they're mm-hmm. inquirers. You've got them all over, and it certainly that Uriah knows about uh, Yahweh. Uh, Uriah obviously knows about the worship of Yahweh because he references the ark, Mm -hmm. and he knows how sacred the ark is. Um, So, yeah, I I would say he was a godly man. He may have not, he may not have been, you know, um, a full Jew, but he is certainly. Well, he's uh, fighting for them, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Which Um, I mean could easily mean he's just a hired gun, essentially, but. He the way he speaks of of the ark and things like that uh, insinuates that there is more than just being a hired gun. Mm-hmm. But then I also have the question: If Uriah is a Hittite, is Bathsheba likely a Hittite and not an Israelite? Did we look up Eliam? Eliam? No, I haven't. <clears throat> I don't. I'm looking know. at it, and there's the word. E-L-I, which um, mm-hmm. is the <coughs> Hebrew word for God. And an Israelite. An Israelite. It would be interesting to find out her declension, uh, find out what Bathsheba is right now. I should have looked that up before I came up. I did not look it up before I came up because I did not know what Becky's going to ask. <laughs> 
Um, David, so which which is her? Are, are you asking about her uh, father's name? Bathsheba which should and her give father's you a clue name. Of, and I really I just ask because you know this story obviously leads to Bathsheba being in the genealogy of Jesus. We already have at this point two, three other women that are in the genealogy of Jesus, and two are not. Um. Uh, Israelite women. Mm-hmm. Well, this what one, else do the three so, women in the genealogy of Jesus have in common? <laughs> Maybe a little promiscuity? They've had yeah. some sexual unfortunate mm-hmm. behavior happen to them or they <clears throat> participated in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess Ruth did too. And, and the scripture's yeah. not, mm-hmm. not squeamish about that. I mean, no. The Bible just... Uh, it, it was part definitely of, of a different culture and a different time, but there were still <clears throat> things that that were, according to God, acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> we see some of these. Well, so, and, Eliam, however you say that, Eliam, according to my handy-dandy olive tree, just says that he was an Israel, Israelite. And it means technically God is kinsman or God of the people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. It, the only, really the only other reason that I bring it up, and probably we should just, I'll dangle this question out there, but we probably should add it to our discussion, mm-hmm. our five week, our, you know, one of our discussion things at some point is um, scripture and, and Yahweh says often about not yoking yourselves to other uh, other culture groups. Mm-hmm. And yet we find in multiple places where uh, the people of God have been yoked and they, and they uh, have intermarried and those people are being utilized. So how do you, how do you talk about the fact of what God has told them yet it's happening and then God utilizes those things. And so, and we probably don't need to really cover it right now, but mm-hmm. that's probably a good question because it happens yeah. over and over within scripture. Uh, even when they take the promised land, they have, uh, God says, don't intermarry. And then when well, we have Rahab, but then we have other things along the way. Mm-hmm. So, well, and then you have Paul saying, don't be unequally yoked. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you have to remember what a yoke is. It's pulling a burden. It's mm-hmm. pulling something in a direction. And um, if you are <clears throat> trying to follow, or if you're a Jesus follower or a Jesus apprentice, and you have a significant person in your life that does not share that, what happens to the direction you move as a couple? Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's sage wisdom. Mm-hmm. All right, let's David, continue in the story. David yeah. tries to continue get Uriah down his home. Uriah continues to be an, an honorable man. He does not uh, he does not go down to uh, his house. Uh, David now has a problem because Bathsheba will soon be showing. And people will be going, wait a minute, it's the spring of the year, and Uriah's at war. How did Bathsheba get into this condition? Mm-hmm. So David comes up with a plot, sends a note to the front with Uriah, says to Joab, put Uriah in the heart of the battle where it's fiercest, and then back up. Mm-hmm. So Uriah is tragically killed in battle. David and Bathsheba hook up. Mm-hmm. 
And then the story continues. This is the part that, that I'm throwing in free. Nathan condemns David. And mm-hmm. if you want to read, um, you, you've got to flip to the book of Psalms to find how this story turns <laughs> out. Because mm-hmm. the 32nd Psalm um, basically belongs to the whole trilogy of David and Bathsheba. Uh, David starts out, happier are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happier are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And David sort of lays out in terms of this great psalm uh, his actions of not confessing his sin. Uh, While I kept my silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as if by the heat of summer. So there's a reflection in the 32nd Psalm of what happens when you don't confess your sin, when you try to hide your sin. And then you turn over in the 51st (coughs) Psalm is um, Mm -hmm. the rest of the story where David (coughs) does confess his sins. And and we'll be talking about that one next week, actually. We'll be talking about that one. But um, in the recording world, I will not. So there you go. so I hope that that's Chris, right? It is Chris. Okay, yes. so Chris can come back to the great story of, of David and Bathsheba, mm-hmm. but we use the 51st Psalm as a confessional psalm, um, particularly on Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a great way of confessing your sins. If you ever want a way of confessing your sins, <laughs> and um, you can pray the 51st Psalm in the privacy of your own home, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. And um, that's always a good prayer to pray. So we we David and Bathsheba this week, and there's another one I want to turn to. I got a few few questions. I got a few questions about David and Bathsheba before we move on to the next one. Oh, no. (laughs) I tried. (laughs) Because I don't understand. You know, David is the king. Mm-hmm. Why why doesn't he just take Bathsheba, declare that he wants her, takes her from Uriah and all this? Why, why does he go through all of this other stuff to cover this? Sin? He's the king. So why can't he just say, I did that thing. She's mine now. I mean, instead, he chooses murder of Uriah, like very manipulative ways to at first and then has to resort to murder when, why can't he just as the king say, she's just mine now? I mean, there's some other scripture references where some kings take some women Mm -hmm. who belong to other people and, you know, whatever. Is it because she becomes pregnant? It's more than likely because of who Uriah is. He is not a low-level an official. He is a obviously a very brave, um, honorable man. He he may have been one of David's mighty men. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no reference to that, but there is some kind of special relationship between. Um, obviously, there's a special relationship between David and Uriah. They're not strangers. No. So Uriah is not surprised when the king calls him. Mm-hmm. Um, it has as much to do with who Uriah is as it does uh, Bathsheba. But doesn't that? But it that feels like it makes it even worse. 
even worse that, you know, it's not just that Uriah is a Hittite and a great Mm -hmm. fighter and all that kind of stuff, but it, it looks like Uriah and David actually know each other and have somewhat of a base relationship. Mm-hmm. And he still plots these, you know, horrible things. There, there's no doubt that Uriah and David stand in a juxtaposition of each other within this story. Uriah is the one who is found to be uh, loyal and faithful. And, um, and while David is the one over here trying to cover his butt and uh, manipulate and all that kind of other things, you know, Uriah is just trying to do what he's supposed to be doing. He's doing his job. So. And, and being respectable of, of, of that, you know. What happens? What are your feelings? What are your experiences of meeting someone who is not a Christian? And they say, I am not a Christian, but they act more Christian than the Christian you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've all had people in our lives that we've met that had nothing to do with the church, and mm-hmm. holy cow, we yeah. wish people in the church acted more like these supposed non-believers, that's also the juxtaposition that you're supposed to land in in this. Mm -hmm. David is the king. He is God's representative. Um, We go back to Samuel telling them why they don't want a king. Well, kings Mm -hmm. behave badly. Yeah. Yet Uriah the Hittite Mm -hmm. is acting in a godly manner. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to sort of live with that angst and anxiety and the scripture probably calls us to review our own living. Um, how do we live? How do we act? Um, how do we treat other people? Mm-hmm. How do we do we Psalm thirty two it? Do we hide our sins or do we confess our sins? Do we um, get in situations where we're in over our heads and we say I'm in over our heads, or do we just keep piling lies on top of lies on top of lies and we mm-hmm. eventually bury ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a snowball effect. It is. And th- this is just an ugly story, which ends in a baby and in a marriage. And um, But but it ends in a baby that dies. Yes. Yeah. Because that's mm-hmm. what God says because of because of what you and that's not that's not just it. The mm-hmm. God says you'll lose this child, but also for the rest of your life your your family will be in turmoil, mm-hmm. which is as if you continue what reading, happened to, what happened to his grandsons? Right, yeah. right. I, I mean, he's got all kinds of his kids are fighting and killing each other and stuff mm-hmm. after this. And even though Solomon is born after this because of their union, and and God says like he's favored, Solomon mm-hmm. is favored, but the rest of David's family is a mess, mm-hmm. um, fighting each other, killing each other, doing all kinds of horrible things to each other. Um, because of this choice that he made here, um, I, I, I mean, I love David. What I find very interesting about this whole thing is is how David has continued to be spoken of and seen within Scripture is still held up um, as this kind of high person that you have a heart like David and all that kind of stuff. But David was not perfect. This is a he did lots of things that were not perfect this seems to be kind of one of those pinnacle moments because there's a lot of downhill for his family after this and because he's older um then solomon comes along and after solomon the nation really suffers the um, david's called a man after god's own heart 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's called that after the Bathsheba thing. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself uh, what's going on in David's life from the time that he was in the cave with Saul and refused to, to kill touch him. him because yeah. he's God's anointed. Right. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a, a low time in David's life, but Scripture in the Old Testament paints him as very human, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as flawed, but one that seeks repentance and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those strange things that, um, you know, when you're a teenager, they tell you, your sins will find you out. Mm-hmm. And they always tell you that on the the before you go to your senior prom. Mm-hmm. And I don't know <laughs> what kind of sinning you're doing at your senior prom. But even though Jesus Christ has forgiven us, mm-hmm. there are still <clears throat> consequences and results of our actions mm-hmm. right. that stay with us through a whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so... David does have a dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. um, and you know Jesus's family thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. So, you know, if you're looking for the Bible for a picture of family life, you pretty much got one <laughs> the because the families of, yeah. in there are pretty dysfunctional, yeah. right? Otherwise known as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I think for me. It's just this constant reminder that runs throughout, especially the Old Testament, uh, because it's all the characters leading up to Jesus, that God can take even our worst mistakes and pull something good and beautiful out of it if we let him. If we let him. I think that's the key for me, is that we have to recognize that, look, I know I messed up, but God, I know you can do something good with this because you're God. And it's that common theme. Mm -hmm. Yes, God can. Well, it's the whole he's the potter and we're the clay. Right. And have you ever watched a potter spinning pottery? Mm -hmm. And there's a flaw in it and they... Yeah. It's like... How do we know when we're not being completely pushed out? You can't see if you're if you're listening. You can't see the woof. Yeah. <laughs> it just completely pushes it all down, starts over, essentially. So, so can I go to the priest of Baal? You can go to the priest of Baal. Now, yes, yes. Okay. We don't have too much time left, so I want to cover that story. story a little bit. Okay, it's one of my favorites. Is great king writes and has cedars and gold and stuff mm-hmm. and builds the right. temple. It's great really king. good. It's temple great is king. amazing. Has two lousy sons. He sure does. Who who you need to read how Israel gets split into two nations. But what's also going on is they're kind of drifting away from Yahweh and this guy who's ever-present. Um, you can call him ba- Baal if you want to, and you'd be correct. You can call him Baal, and uh, you would get extra credit in Hebrew class because his name in Hebrew is Baal. Um, and Baal, and I'm going to call him Baal because y'all are probably more comfortable with that. Baal is basically a fertility god. And if you're in an arid world and you want to grow good crops, you better get on the good side of the fertility gods. And so what was going on in Israel was they thinking, well, we're worshiping Baal and we're putting our Asherah poles up. 
like mm-hmm. we've done before, and it's nothing but good, good crop management. So uh, Elijah proposes a contest, sort of like the Super Bowl, and um, <laughs> yeah. You know, he says, look, if Baal's Baal, let's worship Baal. If Yahweh's God, let's worship God. Mm-hmm. And and let's just, let's get this thing over. And we'll go up on Mount Carmel. And um, Which, what's the significance of Mount Carmel? You want to tell us the significance of Mount Carmel? No, I want you to tell us the significance of Mount Carmel. My brain has forgotten the significance of Mount Carmel right I'm, now. I'm pretty sure something significant <laughs> happened there. Something significant once happened Let me check my footnote. It was probably something that happened in Genesis. Or it's something that happened way back in Joshua and Judges that my brain is not pulling out right now. Um, what happened in Car- at Carmel? I, we can move on. Okay. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. Read your Bible and figure and, it out. Uh, <laughs> read your Bible and find, find out what Find some notes and then let us know. I'm not real good on a Thursday morning. <laughs> anyway, so that's where it is. And... and uh, Elijah says to the Baal boys, okay, Baal boys, you go first, and here's the the sacrifice, <laughs> and, and your deal is you got to call down fire from heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, Baals, you know how all the, the Greek gods and Roman gods and goddesses, they had their primary function, but they were also the god or goddess of? Baal is basically also the god of fire. So the Baal boys are thinking, oh, man, this is so good. So they prepare the sacrifice, and they start calling on the name of the Lord. And, you know, they're they're going around doing their thing. And Which there's like the 400 altar. of them there's or something, four, yeah, right? Four, uh, 400 mm-hmm. of, yeah. of Baal prophets. And there's one Yahweh prophet, that's right. Elijah. A lot one. Of Baal because because uh, they have been sought out, right? Mm-hmm. Hasn't, mm-hmm. hasn't the king been, Ahab has been, and Jezebel, because Jezebel really hated Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been They've been seeking out the prophets of Yahweh and killing them. Well, and the other thing you've got to realize is going on, there's now a drought in the land, mm-hmm. which Elijah kind of called the drought. I called right. drought. He did. And there's a drought. The crops yeah. are failing. And so they're thinking, well, this bail boy is mad at us. So the bail boys, and it's it's hilarious. The bail boys are, come on, bail, sock it to us, bail, send us yeah. some Gulf light and a Zippo lighter, bail. Do and it, then, bail. And then Elijah's <laughs> making fun of them. Yeah, I, and I tell people, <clears throat> Elijah's propped up against a tree singing, um, all hail the power of Jesus. Jesus' name. He's a prophet. He knew. <laughs> and finally, he says, y'all need to yell louder because yeah. Baal has obviously turned aside Hebrew idiom for he's in the outthouse. And, um, and the, the and Baal, he's taunting them. He is taunting. And he's one man against 450 just standing against a tree like, yell louder. Your God must be in the potty. You know, and all this kind of stuff. Like, gosh, he's got some... He's got some uh, He's, some bravery to uh-huh. him, you know. It, it, it's bad. So it, noon, nothing's happened. Elijah said, "Okay, time up. Tear the altar down, rebuild the altar, and he puts a sacrifice up there. Mm-hmm. Then he has people do weird things. He said, <laughs> fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood.'" And do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So that the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to build a, a fire, uh, Todd can tell you this. If you're going to be barbecuing <laughs> your chicken, you don't want a lot of water out there to start the fire. No, you don't. You don't um, wet your firewood at all. That's yes. a bad idea. <laughs> so, so Elijah is. This continues the taunt, but it's about to show the power of God. And at the time of offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and he said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and I'm your servant, that I've done these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that the people may know, O Lord, you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the Hebrew says, fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fire falls and consumes the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and and I love this, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. Mm -hmm. Fire from heaven consumed everything. God has shown his power. God has shown his presence. God has shown up in fire. Where else is God showing up in fire? You've got the burning bush. You've got the pillar of fire. You've got God is fire. You've got three times they pour the water on the um, the altar. What what what's significant about the number three? Jesus within the tomb. How long? Three days. Um, yes, you can see Jesus here. If you want to see Jesus here, I will let you. They fall on their face and worship and. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and do not let one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and he killed them there. And then the drought is over. I mean, you talk about mm -hmm. poor sportsmanship. Right. (laughs) Elijah is showing poor sportsmanship. I'm one and I'm taking you all down now. mm -hmm. (laughs) If we step back to David and Goliath, uh, it's a parallel to me between these two stories and it's also interesting to me that it's a little bit that often gets left out when we tell the story <clears throat> because we like the ending of it with the fire coming down and like yay and everybody falls to the ground and, yay, and, and yeah yeah and yeah. now a bunch of people die yeah it's kind of like the story of David and Goliath where David kills Goliath with the stone and then yay hooray he fell down End of story, except that then David grabs a sword and cuts off Goliath's of head. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. And, and it, it's, I just find that interesting that uh, after a victory like that, then all of the, the prophets of Baal are killed. Well, yeah, because the people are convinced in that moment, but there are 450 prophets of Baal who, even after that moment, could come back to all the people Mm -hmm. of God and be like, oh, your eyes were playing tricks on you that day. You Mm -hmm. were, I mean, it can easily reconvince them of the fact that that their God, Yahweh, didn't really do all that, or he couldn't do it again, or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever else. Plus, it it kind of cuts the legs out from under Ahab and Jezebel a little bit, yeah. who were really leaning on their Baal prophets for mm-hmm. things and for more power and control yeah. over the people. Now, in the next story, I, I think the irony is the the confidence of which I don't even think we read this one. Uh, we don't, the, read, we don't it. read this story. And, and but I just looked at that. It, the you know the confidence of Elijah 
in this story of um, believing that God is going to do what God needs to do to show his power and might to convince Mm -hmm. the people again. And yet in the exact next story is Jezebel is mad at him because of all of it. And he runs and flees from Mm -hmm. her. I think scripture says like he, how fast he can run. He's it's, you know, is this idea of like he outruns a chariot or something. And in his, fear of Jezebel. Mm-hmm. So we've got this prophet who was really confident, almost uh cocky. Cocky, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. and then in the next story, all of that is gone and he goes to God and is like, "Why have you put me in this position?" He's whiny then, mm-hmm. you know. Um so it's just an interesting juxtaposition. Yes, we interesting have juxtaposition. A- but as a spiritual formation <clears throat> guru around here, <laughs> there is a dynamic that you see. People talk about mountaintop experiences almost in the next breath. Talk about, and I couldn't stay up on the mountain. I was down in the valley. What happens mm-hmm. with Jesus? He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Who's down in the valley? The epileptic boy that the disciples can't heal. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the spiritual truth out of this is that we spend very little time on the mountain. Mm-hmm. We spend most of our times in in transit between places, and yes, um, I can't wait to preach on Elijah in the cave because he's scared to death of Jezebel, mm-hmm. and um, you know we're, we're ex- exhibiting classic flight or f- fight or flight mm-hmm. behaviors that mm-hmm. have become frozen. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to get out of this until um, you know God sends some angels to take care of him. So yeah. you you read these stories and you look for your spiritual truth. Yes, these are uh, this is Israel's history, um, but the stories of Israel's history are told, mm-hmm. so you can make um, right decisions. They they have a moral element, but they have another element. They call you to worship Yahweh. They call you to put Jesus as a priority. Mm-hmm. They show you in very pragmatic ways what happens when you try to live without Christ. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he's right there, even in uh, even mm-hmm. the, these Old Testament things. So how many weeks are we into E100? Because we this, record these earlier. I, a bunch. Uh, I think this is our eighth one not counting the uh, the Q and A session, mm-hmm. and I hope everybody's staying with us and enjoying mm-hmm. these. We are collecting your questions, and we continue to do so so we can have a Q and A, and there will be your questions. That's right. Um, and um, your questions are harder than Becky's questions. <laughs> Although Becky's questions are really tough. And when I leave here, I'm going down and reading on Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the one thing I will say about, I, I know that there's significance to Mount Carmel. I just didn't do the prep. But when we went to Israel mm-hmm. and we were on Mount Carmel, yes. I think Mount Carmel is one of the highest peaks. And so I think that's is, one of the yeah. significance about Mount Carmel. Because mm-hmm. we went up to the top and right. you could look and see for miles. Miles and miles and miles, and we could have seen more, except it was kind of cloudy that day that we were there. Well, so yes, well, it's some it of the distance, hazy yeah, in there because the uh, the dust blowing over from Jordan. Mm-hmm. Is it also in the northern <clears throat> kingdom, in the northern part of yes. Israel? Yes. yes, it is. It's up in the uh, Galilee area. Mm-hmm. How close is it to the Valley of Megiddo? Uh, it was. We did those in the same day. Yeah. So mm-hmm. no, yeah. So it's not very far mm-hmm. at yeah. all. And uh, for those of y'all who are interested, I 
I may put a little snippet of Becky gonna... reading from that, uh, or I'll at least link to the video. Um, you'll have to excuse my really terrible uh, vlogging uh, chops so. at that time. Yeah, but when we went but, to the Holy Land, yeah. we sat in the te- we all sat in the temple, and I stood up and I read this story yes. uh, to them, and mm-hmm. it was it was really powerful it to was stand very powerful. in that spot. I'll, I'll link to that video uh, on on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll link to that below. And for, for the professors that taught me archaeology back in the seminary, uh, that was 40 years ago, and I would have to actually do an archaeological dig to pull up my archaeological uh, knowledge and memory. <laughs> because there's some professor going, I taught him that, I taught him that. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going to make one final comment uh, that I think, for me, kind of helps bring bring everything together and i look at um we kind of glossed over it but in first kings 18 we didn't gloss we just moved well, quickly well, we moved quickly <laughs> but but i think there's one thing to me that sticks out that is an important thing in in verse 37 of first kings 18 it says answer me o lord answer me so these people will know that you o lord are god so i th- i think that I'm a big proponent for making sure our motives are correct Mm -hmm. because we can be doing the right things with the wrong motives. And I think Mm -hmm. right here in this moment, Elijah is saying that it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about you, God. So make sure, please, God, please let these people see your power. Elijah doesn't want the glory. He doesn't want the notoriety. That's evidenced by the following chapter when he's running away. No, that's all about him in the next chapter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but in this moment here, where he's successful, yeah. where God shows up, mm-hmm. Elijah says, so that the people will know you. Right, because they didn't. <clears throat> and that's because that's the 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 bookend is that's what he asks them before this all really begins mm-hmm. once they get up on the mountain. I mean, how long are you going to waver, sit on the fence? Mm-hmm. When when's that going to get uncomfortable for you enough that you're just going to make yeah. it? And Jeez. and the scripture says they're silent. Yeah. And so the the bookend now is mm-hmm. to make sure that the people see so that they can actually respond to the question I asked them earlier. That's right. And so with that, let's remember in our readings to look for those moments of of people choosing God's power and God's majesty. So if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. I've got to pull out my little outro thing. If you're new to the podcast, You'll definitely want to subscribe so that you're notified whenever we publish a new episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts specifically, leave us a review because that helps the algorithms tell other people that what we're doing is valuable and it will show our content to more people. You can also find this podcast on Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcast, and Amazon Podcast, as well as on YouTube if you prefer to watch what we do here. Just search for Trinity Rustin, that's all one word, wherever you enjoy your podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.